From the Thinking Out Loud studios, it's the Thinking Out Loud podcast with Kevin and Kyle, the podcast that exists to help you navigate the culture of today from a biblical perspective and to help you grow in your relationship with God. God has commissioned and called you to be a light in this culture. The only way you can do that is to know the truth. No matter what circumstance you're facing, no matter what season of life that you're in, if you truly want to find success in that season, you're going to have to go back to the simple question of what does God say about me in this moment? There's no shortage of information in this culture, but there is a shortage of truth. Welcome back to the Thinking Out Loud podcast. My name is Kevin Wilson. And I am Kyle, and we're excited to have you guys back on the show with us today. Hey, listen, if you could, on if you're listening to us on Apple, go ahead and scroll right down to the bottom really quick and just rate and review us. It really helps just get the statistics out there and, and helps everybody else find us on the airways. And so if you could do that, we'd be so appreciative over that. Hey, we have a topic today that we want to discuss. And as Kevin and I discuss topics, usually we discuss conversations where we know culture is talking about it, society's talking about it, they want to hear about it. And quite frankly, we just want to talk about it. And then there are topics where all of that comes together But we as communicators, even in our own professions, us as leaders in our own professions, understand that the topic we're going to talk about is needed also for an education standpoint for us, because we're going to have to communicate that. And a lot of you guys know that I am a youth pastor in my local church, and I'm excited for the conversation today simply because... We are navigating through a culture where transgenderism is one of the most popular topics when it comes to sexuality in our culture. And as a youth pastor, and youth pastors all around the nation are probably feeling the same thing, we have to navigate this conversation in a way that's loving, in a way that ministers to others. And the only way that we're going to be able to do that is to educate ourselves on this topic. We could go ahead and speak about this topic, but if we know nothing about this topic, we are going to come off brash. We're going to come off maybe hateful. And one thing that we've learned about Jesus in his ministry was that when he approaches certain topics, certain individuals, he does it in a way where he ministers to other people. He shows the love and the compassion that he has as their creator. He validates their infinite value in them. And so I'm excited for the show today, Kev. I know that was that was super long, but I'm just excited when we can have topics like this, we can educate ourselves on um, the internal process of other individuals so that we can communicate properly and validate others. So I'm excited for this show. Yeah, absolutely, Kyle. And so I'm I'm crazy excited. We have a guest with us today, and I really believe that, you know, if If you are dealing with any type of, you know, sexual identity issues, I believe that this is the show for you today. And today we're going to talk about transgenderism, right? We're going to talk about the LGBT community. We're going to talk about all the things that surrounds that. Transgenderism is one of the most popular topics when it comes to sexuality in our culture right now. According to the CDC, one million people in the U.S. identify as transgender. And according to Dr. Paul R. McHugh, he's a former psychiatrist in chief for Johns Hopkins Hospital, which very respected hospital, uh, said that the suicide rate among transgendered people who have uh, who have had reassignment surgery is 20 times higher than the suicide rate among non transgender people. 
And so as Christians, our goal is we need to reach out. We need to help. Mm -hmm. This should not be a statistic, right? And that's something that, you know, we shouldn't hate. We should not ostracize. We should not, you know, do anything other than love anyone who is going through this. And if you don't understand transgender and kind of what that looks like, uh, it pretty much encompasses anyone who identifies as a gender differing from their biological sex or as no gender at all or anyone who has who's had a sex change operation right so a person who is transgender they might be a male who identifies as a female uh she might be a female who identifies as a male a transgender person can also identify as neither male nor female so there's there's a lot there but we have on the show today so if you remember a few shows back we had Angel Cologne on just mm-hmm. an awesome I we got so much yeah. great feedback from that show. I mean I've got more people downloading that. It's one of the most popular shows so far that people have downloaded and just and if you haven't listened to that show, it's uh, Angel Cologne, go back and listen to that show. It's a great show, but we have a, a minister uh, of the gospel and a friend of his on today and his name is Jeffrey McCall. He's the founder for Such a Time Ministries and also the founder of the Freedom March. Uh, He's author of the book For Such a Time from Transgender to a Son of God. And Jeffrey McCall joins us now. Jeffrey, welcome to the Thinking Out Loud podcast. We're so happy that you're here today. Yes, thank you so much for um, for having me here today. I, I look forward to today's meeting. Yeah, absolutely. So, Jeff, one of the things I have to say is I didn't know anything about uh, your ministry, Angel's ministry, Louise's ministry, or any of these people's ministry prior to, I don't know, two or three months ago. And since then, I've been stalking you guys, (laughs) you know, because your ministries and what you're doing in the communities is just amazing. Yes. Your love for God, your love for helping people to get free from the lies that they've believed all their lives. You're not condemning them. You're not, you know, putting out hate speech. You're loving them to Christ. And I want to tell you, I appreciate all the work that you guys are doing out there. It is, it's awesome. So thank you. Thank you so much. It's, it's really cool to see. Uh, people talk about how it's affecting their lives and seeing it. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, we talked about, we talked to Angel a little bit about just the gay lifestyle and all of that. But one of the areas that we did not cover, and I, and I feel it's important for us to cover is, is the transgender portion of this and everything that goes with that, right? So obviously the homosexual lifestyle goes with that, but specifically transgender. Uh, so, Walk us through your journey um, of, 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 of your life and kind of uh, help our listeners to understand, you know, where you come from, kind of what happened um, that caused you to actually get into a life of drugs and prostitution and transgenderism, and the homosexual lifestyle, all of that stuff. What was what was first, I guess I would ask you, what was your home life like growing up? Yes. So my home life was pretty good. I grew up with having both of my parents in my life. They did get divorced when I was around five years old. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I remember being a little boy and when they got the divorce, I remember hearing my mom on the phone one day, I think she was talking to a friend and she basically was saying that my dad had committed adultery on her. Mm. And I remember even as a little boy, like seeing my mom upset about it. And I just remember thinking, oh, this is what men do to women. Like they hurt them. And being, you know, a little boy loving my mom, it just hurt me that my that that's what men do to women. And obviously as an adult, I put no blame on my dad or my mom or any of that. There was multiple things wrong in their marriage on both sides. But as a little boy overhearing that, it just really affected me with the male and female dynamic of how that worked. Um, also, when I was young, there was a much older male who at times would expose himself. He never raped or molested me, but I just, when he did things like that, I felt a drawing to his body. Mm. Um, and also when I was very little, I was left alone with another person extremely young and there was just playing with body parts and different things. And this person was the opposite sex. Um, and that just, I don't know that. So all those things kind of just happened very young and confused me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I always felt this drawing to the male body. And as I grew up, um, by 12 years old, I had my first homosexual thoughts and by 15 years old, I acted out on those thoughts. And that was when, that was when I really just threw myself into that identity. And the further I went into the homosexual identity, the more I always felt like even these relationships with men aren't working because I'm really a woman. Um, since I was young, I played with Barbies. I um, used to fantasize about being a woman, dresses, stuff like that. And so as I progressed in the LGBTQ community and these relationships with other men uh, weren't necessarily working out, I always felt this drawing that almost that it was more natural for me to be a woman to be with a man and um, had always felt that inside. So uh, later on in my life, in my identity in the LGBTQ community, I began to live transgender. Mm. So that is very, that's one of the things you hear a lot, right, is that when a person's young, they were exposed some kind of way to something, right? Whether it be, you know, molestation or pornography or somebody exposing themselves, all of those, those things. So how young, and I, I think I read somewhere where it was started maybe around the age of 12 or so that you started kind of being attracted to, to the same sex. And then it was around 15 years old that you started kind of acting on it. Yes. Around 12 years old, I had my first homosexual, I guess you would say fantasy or where I I thought about it sexual because before 12 years old, even though I felt this drawing to the male body, it wasn't sexualized, I guess, in that same way. But at 12, I had my first sexual, I guess, fantasy about another guy. And at 15 years old, I had my first sexual encounter with a guy. So yeah, within three years, I really... And after I had that encounter, I never really knew anything else. It was just my identity of who I was. I was a part of who I was, was I was homosexual. And so that's how I thought after that, after that event. So, and I guess, help me to understand when you were that young, did you at that particular point, and I know you had, you know, kind of the attraction towards the male body, but did you like, you had those feelings of, you felt like, I mean, did you feel like you were trapped in the wrong body at that particular time, you know, being that young yet? 
I don't know. It's hard to explain how I felt with that because transgenderism isn't talked about like it is today. Mm. So even though, so I was born in 87. So let's say growing up in the early nineties, playing like I was in a dress, playing with Barbies, this, this just drawing to the, to things that were of the female nature wanting to act like that or be like that at times there wasn't no there wasn't any transgender word for that so it was just like it's just kind of something like I did in private or a little kid playing and I would feel that but I you know didn't speak to anyone about it so it was kind of like and, and because I grew up in church at a very early age I started hearing about homosexuality and transgenderism and they were going to hell and things like that so it was just something I just kind of like pushed back and back and like I said, even when I was in homosexual relationships, I always felt like the feminine person in the relationship with the other male. I always dated males that were more uh, masculine. Mm-hmm. And so I always felt like more of the feminine person in that. And like I said, as the years progressed throughout my teens and my 20s, when those male relationships didn't work between two males, um, that's when I felt like this obvious more, I felt like it would be more comfortable to be- because transgender issues had come out to actually become transgender and to let that be my life. So that was kind of how it all transpired. Wow. So what about your family at this time? I mean, was this something that your family knew? Is it, were you like, like, did they, like, as you started dating guys or or, on all of that, is this something that, and I know that you were kind of broken up, but it, was it something that they accepted or, or not accepted? Did you say as my family? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, No, um, I never, I kept a lot of things just hidden from my family. I didn't talk to them about it. Once I was 18, I pretty much lived on my own and lived in different places. I would come home at times, but I just didn't involve my family because I knew my mother and my dad were Christians and I knew Mm. what they believed on it. So I just, even throughout my late teen years, 18, 19, throughout my 20s, I just didn't talk to them about things with my personal life. I really kept it separate. Mm. So with that being said, knowing knowing your parents' thought on it, knowing the Christian uh, background and the thought on homosexuality, and like you said, you know, growing up in the 80s, the 90s, transgenderism wasn't really talked about. Homosexuality probably wasn't it talked about like it was today either. But just knowing how you felt on the inside, the internal questions that you had, what can you kind of give me some of the details of the conversations you were just having with yourself, knowing okay, on the flip side, this is what my parents believe. However, I'm dealing with feeling this way about myself. Were there certain conversations you were having with yourself at those times? Definitely. Because of growing up in church, like I mentioned earlier, all I heard was that these people were wrong and they went to hell, but yet I felt these things. So it was definitely kind of a, it was definitely a battle within me at times, just thinking like, why do I feel this way? And why would God right. hate me and send me to hell when I really feel this way? And I didn't really ask to feel this way. And throughout those years growing up, there was a lot of stuff put on me as I was growing up. I did do a lot of masculine things as in like, I love to play basketball. I was actually really good at basketball. I was actually the leading scorer of everyone in my city by the seventh grade. So there was things I did that were masculine, but there was things I was drawn to or uh, did that wasn't as masculine. And so in school also around fifth grade, fifth grade or sixth grade, others started telling me like, 
saying you're gay. And so in that, that was another thing put on me with just people's words that, that maybe this is who I am. Maybe this is why I'm drawn to this. So it was always a internal conflict growing up in church because I felt like I knew that it was wrong and against what God felt or what God had, had said was right. But at the same time, I didn't understand how I was just supposed to be punished for being who I was or for right. feeling what I felt. And it wasn't until much later when I was born again that I realized that God has spoken clearly mm-hmm. against two men having sex or two women having sex, that that is not according to his will, but that he still loves the people. <laughs> you know, I didn't know that when I was young. He loves those people. Jesus died for those people to be saved by him, that those who would believe in him and follow him would be saved. So I didn't understand that concept. I think that a lot of what I grew up in was religious. So mm. it was just, this is right, this is wrong. This goes to hell, this goes to heaven. And there was no, yes, heaven's real. Yes, hell's real. But there was no concept of like God fervently loves everyone, no matter what sin they're in, and that he paid for them, that his love is like a fiery love fighting for them their whole life to be pulled out and snatched out of a lifestyle of sin. Like that he loves them beyond any love of what humans know. And so I just didn't know that stuff. So it was always a conflict in my mind. And so that's kind of what I was alluding to was, you know, we're going to have to navigate this too. I don't understand homosexuality. I don't understand the LGBTQ community and the lifestyle or the thoughts they have, you know? And so I think the way we are going to go about what we discuss is exactly what you just said. So I appreciate you answering that. It's just, listen, God loves his people. Like he, he, he loves his people. He does though, give clear and specific answers to sin. And we as a people have to find a way to love and minister through that sin so that we're not, we're not invalidating any, anything that like they're valuable people, right? We're mm-hmm. all valuable people. I think, did you find it growing up? You said religious. Did you find that? And this is just a question, just a gauge that maybe sexual sin was isolated from other sin. Uh, and it just felt like it was just far more worse than any other sin. Or just kind of gauge us on if you're thinking those thoughts in a church, how has the church maybe at times made it seem like it's impossible, you know what I'm saying, for you to be loved by God yet have that sin at the same time? Yes, I definitely think growing up, I heard more about. I would say I probably heard more about homosexuality than anything else in the Bible. You know, the Bible mentions that gluttony is sin. It mentions that drunkenness is sin. It mentions that pharmakia, which is really modern day drug use, is sin. It mentions that, you know, so many things are sin, gossip, slander, um, causing division. But I didn't really hear a lot about those things. Mm. I heard more about, like you said, was it isolated? Yeah. Like it was like sexual sin is the worst thing in the world. And um, sexual sin is a very severe sin. And the Bible does yeah. say that s- sexual sin is the only sin that you sin against your own body. Yep. So, yep. but it's not the only thing to talk about for every, you know, every meeting, every day. And so hearing about that all the time, I would see people in the church that weren't loving that were causing division. I would see people that were mean and hateful, things like that. And not everyone, obviously. There were so many amazing Christians I met growing up in church. And I remember the loving people and the people that you could just feel the Holy Spirit on. I would always be drawn to those people at my dad's church or my mom's church. 
But yeah, so there was just, it was put on a pedestal a lot of times, that's that specific sin. And, you know, homosexuality was talked about, but there's lots of other sexual sin. Any sin outside of man and woman being married is, is sexual sin. So yeah, it was really harped on a lot. Yeah, honor, yeah, that's uh, that's that's great to bring some clarity um, to that. And as the church, we do have our pet sins um, that we just love to harp on and forget about the other ninety nine <laughs> sins that we yeah. should be <laughs> that we should be uh, paying attention to as well. So you know, it, it, it you know, it's kind of like when um, you know in the Bible where it talks about. The you looking at the moat in your brother's eye and you, and, you know, and you have a plank in your own. Right. And it's it's, you know, whatever I don't deal with. Right. Is the most horrible sin. Right. But if I deal with it, grace. Yeah, I need grace. But, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, I, and, and I think it really comes down to the church being behind the eight ball when it comes to the homosexual sin or, sure. you know, the transgenderism. They're not behind the eight ball on any other sin because 99% of the church deals with all the other sin. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And so what I want to say, and we can continue to get back to your story, but just thank you. Thank you for what you're doing because you're educating guys like me to be able to love our students in a way that they haven't seen in their homes and the way that churches haven't previously shown it. And that's an indictment on us. And so I just want to thank you for uh, being an example of how we can reach every single person not just the ones that we fully understand and if we don't understand them you're being that you're you're filling that gap and helping us understand the internal struggles so that we can communicate properly so thank you yeah for sure and i want to say this too like this really blew my mind when i was born again and started reading the bible for myself jesus actually says it would be better for the people in sodom and gomorrah on the day of judgment than the people i think it was in capernaum who literally saw Jesus, saw the miracles, saw his mm-hmm. and preaching the gospel of repentance. Jesus Christ of Nazareth himself says, it's going to be better for the people in Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than you who saw this and didn't believe. Mm-hmm. And so I'll never forget when I started reading the Bible for myself, I'm like, I've never heard anyone talking about this. I've heard people <laughs> talking about homosexuality for years. The Lord is literally saying that unbelief and seeing the power of God, seeing the miracles yes. of God, seeing that and still not believing, that's a worse sin than anything that happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't just dealing with homosexual sin. Why was Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed? There was homosexual sin all over the world during the time when Sodom and Gomorrah got destroyed. Sodom and Gomorrah was participating in homosexual sin and also raping people, also uh, torturing people. They were trying to literally rape angels that had just come into the town. So I learned as I started reading the Bible myself and growing with the Holy Spirit, I learned there was way deeper things in each story than I had ever previously been taught. And so I don't know. I just really felt the Lord pressing on my heart to sit, to share that. I think someone watching, I needed to hear that for some reason, but yeah. really taking it out of the court of the sexual sin and bringing it into what we were talking about with unbelief, like yeah. the Lord wants us to be filled with faith and belief in, in all the, the things that he can do, the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the power of God, his transforming power. Yeah. I just think that it's one of the most dangerous sins is walking in doubt and unbelief. Not that we ever question things because we all do as humans. We have a rational brain, sure. but not walking in that and living in that, but walking in faith, you know, all through Hebrews, it says, talks about the great people that live by faith. And the Bible also says without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
So I don't know why I would bear it off on this row, but I really felt the Lord wanting me to. And it's probably for the Christians that will be watching this. Sure. Um, that maybe never dealt with that sexual sin, but I just really felt the Lord wanting to hone that in about walking in faith and walking with him that actually he said it would be worse for the people that walked in unbelief and doubted his seeing his power than than even the sexual the city that we know the most for sexual sin yeah no that's well a- that i don't want to veer off but that helped me i just wrote it all down because truth be told we're going to open up our series in a way where we're trying to get sexual sin we're talking about it but not as the core you know because then right away you're targeting people right and then right away they're going to shut you down they're not going to listen I've been under sermons where it wasn't a sexual sin, but it was a sin I was involved in. And because of the way it was approached, I was like, I ain't listening to this, you know, because it offended me. Right. And so we were trying to get it to where we, we talk about God's authority over our lives, because if you don't understand that first and foremost, you're not going to listen to anything else we have to say. But that lines right up with the disbelief. Like for us, the students that come in, they do see how tangible our God is and how real he is, yet they still choose not to believe. Well, that's, that's your number one right there. Like, let's, let's work on the authority of God in your life and let's work on your belief of his work in your life. And that's something that Angel Cologne said. He was like, it was a pursuit of holiness. It wasn't like specifically saying, I need to tackle this. It was more so, man, I need to get closer to Jesus and find out who Jesus is and let Jesus do that work in my life. And so, dude, you just hit it again. And, and again, I appreciate that. So I stole it. I'm going to use it. I'll shout you out Good. when I use it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we love, we, we love the pathway to holiness and putting God constantly where God belongs instead of yes. putting our sin above. Because, and I think that's what happens is so many people, um, we idolize our sin. Like that's the, you know, we get so stuck on sin that we don't pursue the holiness of God, which would free us from it all, you know, and, and, and we all like, we all do that. We have our things that we're just like, man, if I could just be better at that, or man, I keep failing. I keep failing instead of looking at God, the redeemer, God, the, the deliverer, right. God, the, the, our salvation, right. You know, those things. And it's, it's, you know, it, it's a walk, it's a relationship. And like you said, when you grew up, it was a lot about religion. Like we don't do this. We do this. And I grew up the same way. I mean, I grew up very strict apostolic, you know, they didn't wear jewelry, no pants, no, you know, the whole gamut. I didn't grow up with a TV. I mean, all of those things. Right. But it was all about what we do and what we don't do. And, you know, it took years for me to understand that it's about relationship. It's not about, you know, and I, I've said this before on the air is that when you meet somebody who is transgender or homosexual, the first thing that you you're to do is not to try to get them not gay. Right. The first thing is salvation. Right. People people go to hell because they don't believe in Christ and they don't they don't surrender their life to Christ. Right. You know, but we've taught people, well, you go to hell for being gay. No, you go to hell for not having Christ in your life and surrendering that life to Christ, right? We, we have it all backwards. And so then people look and they go, well, but I don't, but I, I have these feelings. I have these urges. I have all these things. I don't like that, God, because I don't like, because there's no power. They, they don't understand the power of God, Right to take that away or or to or to to handle the desires that they have right so it's it's really something so i just i love that pathway to holiness 
let's just jump back into your story. Just, just, and then we're going to, we'll, we'll you know, continue. He, he, he for, we forgot we have two pastors on this show. So we start talking biblical. <laughs> <laughs> we go off on rabbit holes yeah. like normal. You, you get us fired up now. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, um, so what, what do you feel like? So when did the whole drinking and the drugs thing start for you? Yeah. Yeah. So at 15 years old, I had my first sexual encounter with another man on a Sunday afternoon, evening time, the very next Sunday around the same time. It was that four five, six, little four five o'clock time. My oldest brother died unexpectedly. So mm. my first encounter, a sexual intercourse with another person, I felt so different. I'll never forget going home after the encounter. And I was just like, I could feel that just like my innocence was taken away. Like a part of me that can never be back was gone. Mm, And I remember feeling that that whole week. And I was in high school. I was a sophomore in high school. And then the very next Sunday, like I said, around the exact time, I got a call from my mom and she was screaming on the phone that she had found my brother dead. My brother had just turned 27 the week before. Obviously, he wasn't that old. He was, you know, 27 years old. He had just turned 27, but he had seizures and he had a really bad seizure at home alone. And my mom kept calling and trying to go by his house. And uh, she found him there dead. And so in that, basically within seven days, my life went into a totally another direction. Um, And that's when I began drug use. I began drinking around that time. And then I never really liked marijuana. I would use it occasionally, like if I felt like it, but I really went straight into like ecstasy, cocaine, crystal meth, mushrooms. I mean, I did it all. And by 17, my senior year, um, I actually missed, I think, 63 days my senior year. I was on drugs. I was always partying, but my grades were good. So they let me stay after classes a bunch so I could graduate. But pretty much my senior year, I was completely just in a whole nother place with drinking and drugs constantly. I would go to school high on crystal meth or not really on crystal meth, but on cocaine doing it. I would ask the teacher to go to the bathroom and go take my line off the toilet. Like my life was crazy. Mm. I was doing ecstasy going to school. And I also began dealing with eating disorders. Um, I became just rail thin dealing with bulimia and anorexia. And so, yeah, within Two years from 15 to 17, I was almost completely different person. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think I read somewhere like you were because you're six, four, right? Or somewhere around. Six yes. four? Yeah. So you're a tall guy and like you're like 160 pounds or something or 100. And- yeah. I'm like six, three and a half. And I don't really know the lowest I ever got. But I know that I remember one time going to the doctor and being 167 and I was just bones because I'm so tall. And um, I was just I. And so from there at 18, from 18 to 23, I began living in Nashville. Um, Every boyfriend that I had was usually in his 30s or 40s or 50s. I was very young dating these older men and. I would just party and go out and live with them. I worked at a night. I eventually did get a job at a nightclub. It was an after hours club. So it only opened. It didn't even open till 12 or one in the morning and it closed at nine in the morning. So Mm. everyone in Nashville, Tennessee, like that worked at other clubs or bars, they would come there high on drugs. And that was pretty much my life through 23. And that's when I became severely addicted to crystal meth because Before, when I was doing cocaine and uh, crystal meth and all these other drugs, it was like I could do it, but I could also live without it if I had to. 
around 22 through 23, I became addicted to crystal meth where I would stay up three, five days. And when I would fall asleep, I'd have my nine ball by my bed. I would smoke it out of, get back up and do it again. So that was a big part of my life during those years. It was, it was, it was really crazy. Mm. So where did the prostitution come in? Like, well, how did that start? I always wonder when I, I, I just always wonder about that lifestyle, right? Of, of just s- like selling your body. Like, so when did, when did that come in? Yes. Yeah, so part, I guess, let me think the first time I ever was involved in prostitution was, I think I was 22, 21 or 22. And, uh, yeah, I just needed money. And that was really at the beginning of my years being addicted to crystal meth. And I just called up an older man that I knew. And I basically said, Hey, I need money for this bill. Like, and he just agreed that I could do something sexual to get it paid. And so I'll never get that feeling. He came to my apartment, the act happened and just seeing the money and like knowing that it was for something, it was just like, I can't believe I did that. Mm -hmm. Like, It was such, such a crazy feeling. And then from there, really, I never prostituted again until I lived later transgender. And when I lived later transgender, I did just so many things um, that I had never done before. Man, I just, I, you know, it, it just, obviously it's hard. I've, I haven't been through the whole transgender thing. And so I don't, it's hard for me to understand like what that's like, because I've seen pictures of you as a, a woman and I would not have known that you were not a woman. Like, I mean, you know, the way, you know, the way that you look, did you ever have any times where, did you ever have times where people were surprised that you weren't a woman? I was never one of those people that a lot of transgender people do this. They don't say, or they don't tell things. Sometimes mm-hmm. I never did that. I was very honest with people up front. Anytime I use online ads and things later on when I lived transgender, when I prostituted and was very promiscuous, I always did everything under transgender ads. Like, so I never tried to be that. Um, Mm -hmm. So no, I, I never really had anyone upset with me that didn't know. And there was probably a few times on other online things that I would put myself on the woman's side and later would, you know, tell the man, but I never met up with men and stuff like lying about that. Yeah. Uh, No, I didn't. Wow. So walk us through the moment, like you're being set free from this lifestyle. So was it a progressive thing? Was it a, was it all at once? Hey, I went, I know you have a kind of a story around, you know, you were, you would listen to Jensen Franklin and different things like that. So to kind of walk me through that a little bit. Yeah. So I was actually, when I was living transgender, I was in graduate school. I was getting a master's degree in history at East Tennessee State University. It's up in Johnson City, Tennessee. And while I was at ETSU, I was living transgender. That's when I started seeing a psychologist and a psychiatrist who both diagnosed me with gender dysphoria so that I could start my life. And I will never forget the doctor or the psychiatrist. He told me, he said, you can either do start doing hormones or you can start doing surgeries or you can do both. And looking back, I know it was God because I remember looking at him and I was just like, you know, I was like, I want to start living my life as Scarlet and changing things about me, but I don't want to start hormones because I know hormones can take so long to have experience to have effects. Hmm. So I said, I want to start doing major surgeries and quickly. And when I said that, obviously in that time I was in graduate school, so I was going to wait till I was done to have, you know, the major surgeries. 
And so as I began living my life as Scarlet, I started going to graduate classes. I started going to on dates with men like a Scarlet. And one of the things that really was very powerful before my encounter with God. So my encounter in God was in the spring of 16, but in the fall of 15. So in the fall semester of my last year of graduate school, I started dating this guy and we had this big fight and all this stuff happened. And I basically got completely drunk, like beyond anything. And I basically was very suicidal and I actually called out for help. I called the, the school hotline and they had an ambulance pick me up and they had a fire truck show up. It was just crazy. They put me in this place and they took me to the hospital and I had to spend two days in the psychiatric facility of the hospital. And then they sent me for an evaluation at a psychiatric facility, not just a hospital, but an actual psychiatric facility. And even while I was there, Scarlet, Scarlet was the name I went by. It was so ingrained in me. I stayed as Scarlet in this psychiatric facility. They let me do it because a lot of transgender issues and rights were being pushed at that time. So they didn't really push me too far. They let me stay in there, Scarlet, with my hair, clothes, makeup and all that stuff. And I'll never get when I went went to see the psychiatrist he was like oh you're just he was like you just had a meltdown you got really drunk you had a fight with your boyfriend and you're in graduate school so you know that's just where you are right now and it happened to be a lot of pressure on you and so i literally get out of the psychiatric facility and this is all what led up to my encounter with god because after that event i kept going further i spiraled further into that lifestyle and that was when i became the most promiscuous i had ever been in my life sometimes with more than one guy a day. And I also started having an affair with a married man in that town. He was an attorney. Mm. And so in the midst of all that, I began to drink just even more heavily. And so fast forward to the spring of 16, this is my last semester of graduate school. I'm at my house. My life is a complete wreck. <laughs> I lived in my one bedroom apartment alone and I'm just walking through the house. I'm just so upset. I'm having this affair with a married man. I'm being the most promiscuous I ever was. I didn't even know if I had an STD or what I was dealing with, you know, with that kind of stuff. I was in graduate school trying to get my master's degree. I was really wanting to transition and I was really getting ready to lose my family. I knew mm. that my family would never hate me, but I knew that I wouldn't be coming as transgender with a full new body of Scarlet to family functions and things with children. I just knew how my family was not going to be accepting of that. And so I was getting ready to lose my family also to, to begin these surgeries and to have my whole new life. And I walked through my hallway into my bedroom and I just fell back on my bed and I just started crying. And I basically just called out to this God that I didn't even know if he was real or really there. You know, I felt like I believed in God and Jesus through my whole life, but through four years of, of history for my degree in history and through two years of graduate school in history, I had had a lot of evolution pumped into my mind. And so I'm sitting there crying and I just called to this guy like I really wasn't for sure if he was even real anymore at that point. And I said, God, I know I met people that that I think like they live for you, like something happened in their life. And I'll never forget. I said, God, they have like love and joy and peace and all these things. And I was literally crying. I was speaking these words out loud. I was laying on my bed. My thoughts were racing in my mind. And so I was just crying, saying this to him. And I'm, the last thing I said was, will I ever live for you? I was at the point where it was either yes or no, make or break. Either you're real or you're not. Either I'm going to go way further into this than I ever imagined or not. Like I, I needed something then. And, you know, 
I didn't know that the Bible says like a broken and contrite heart. Like God is drawn to that. He doesn't push that away. And that's where I finally was. I was broken that day. And so as I sat there crying and the last thing I said was, will I ever live for you? All of a sudden, the only way to describe it is a peace and stillness in my mind. And I'll never forget this. My thoughts and my mind just went silent. You know, obviously if you're crying and you're speaking out loud in a prayer to God, you have thoughts in your mind, sure. you know, thinking things. And all my thoughts in my mind went silent. And I just heard a voice. It's just like you ran across. It was powerful, loving, compassionate, fatherly. I don't know. It was so many things mixed in one in his voice. And I just heard, yes, you will live for me. Mm. Mm. There wasn't nothing else. That's all he said. Yes, you will live for me. And I sat there crying and I was almost in shock. I was just like, what? Like, mm -hmm. did I just hear God? I'm like, no, no. Like, God doesn't, you know, talk like that to us. We don't really hear him like that. Like, I don't know. I was just thinking all kinds of things. I'm like, why would I hear a reply to my question? Damn. And it was just like a little bit of a shock. And the rest of the week went on. I still lived to Scarlet. I still had guys over. I was still partying. I was still going out. And it was a couple months later, I moved back to Nashville when I was done with graduate school. And I had another breakdown where I was just so upset. And my dad asked me to come live with him. And that's when I came to live with him in Georgia. And uh, just I got away from everything of my old life. And I remember God speaking to me that, yes, I would live for him. And when he spoke that to me that day, even though it was months till I threw away my life as Scarlet, it was like a seed of hope got put into me. And uh, when I moved to Georgia, I took my life as Scarlet, my hair, my clothes, my makeup, my jewelry, my shoes, like everything of everything that I wanted to be. And I went to a dumpster and I just threw it away. Mm -hmm. And that was the beginning of my life with the Lord. Wow. It's kind of it's kind of cool. You said, you know, uh, does God really answer? My, like, can you? I ask a question. Can you really answer? And for the most part, you see in the Gospels that Jesus is the one asking the questions. So I do think that biblically, I think He desires us to ask, even ask to answer as well. And I think if we ask, He's going to answer. You think about the crippled man, the crippled beggar, and Jesus says, "Do you want to be well?" I, I don't. It sounds like you wanted to be well, and you were just asking, like, God, am I going to be able to achieve this? You know, like, and and He's going to answer that. And I just think that's such a powerful thing for someone listening. That's like, they know, they know, there's this battle on the inside. Just a simple call out, like it, it can be as simple as just calling out for help. And and I, we don't have to overcomplicate this. Like, in the moment, you don't have the answer. In the moment, I don't have the answer for things that I go through. But a simple call out for help can reveal, you know, either a process or an immediate answer. And so I just thought that that whole part of your, your story, like, and, and I think it's important that people also understand, like, it didn't happen overnight, dude. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, there, was, there was a process that had to take place. There was a getting rid of certain things that had to take place. And that, I mean, you've got desires and emotions and attachments physically, emotionally, mentally. That, that God's just literally going to have to work through. And I think it's important that we realize, like, you didn't have to get yourself together for you to say, God, I need your help. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like it was now up to Jesus, now up to you and Jesus and that relationship you were going to build for some of those things to start taking place and that transformation to start happening. And I know for myself, I'm, I'm so hard on myself. I'm a performance-driven guy. And so if I don't see things right away, I'm like, oh, it's a failure. Like, this isn't, you know, this isn't going the way. 
it, it doesn't have to be sin. It just be anything that I'm doing. Oh, it's a, it's just not working out. You know, that's not the case, man. There's a process to everything, and there's so many different victories in that whole victory. So, with that being said, one of the questions that I know we deal with in our ministry, and one of the questions that I don't fully understand how to answer, and so I'm kind of excited to, to hear you talk with me through this. But like, you were set free. But talk about the like. Did you ever experience, and do you still experience the the desires that haven't left, the temptations of same sex attraction? Because there is a difference in having a temptation and acting on the temptation, right? And so there are, I believe, there are a lot of Christian men and women that they're attracted to the same sex, but because they understand what God says about it, they're kind of going through this process of like, I'm not going to act on it, I'm not going to sin in that way. But can you talk us through? Because again, I don't understand that internal struggle of that. So yes, I would definitely say there's all different kinds of people that walk this out. Um, I know many people that left the lifestyle and had encounters with God, and they just never dealt with same-sex attraction again. And then I also know a lot of people, including myself, that have still dealt with same-sex attraction, but have walked this out with the grace of the Lord. And, you know, the Bible in the book of Titus, it says that the grace of God allows you to deny ungodliness. And when I read that the first time, I'm like, that is what's happened in my life. Like, obviously, I've never done everything perfect and I've made many mistakes. But as I was being transformed and after I was born again, I was seeing all this change and things that maybe I would done 50 times that I was doing once a week, you know. And so as the things were changing in my life, I was learning that that grace was allowing me to deny ungodliness and learning what Jesus said, that you had to pick up your cross and follow him, deny yourself. And so as I learned that, as I was growing in the Lord, I've just seen that in myself and so many others, just denying ourselves and following him and, you know, dealing just because you have temptation come does not mean that you are still bound in that life, you know. Let's say a a man who always dealt with heterosexual attractions gets married. Just because that man gets married does not mean he's not going to be tempted or have thoughts come about another woman the rest of his life because he got married to to his new wife. No, with the Lord and following Jesus, you have to walk that out. You have to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh and grow in that grace that allows you to deny all those things that wouldn't be sex with your wife. And so in that, um, that's just what the Lord has done. He's doing it in so many people, just walking this out. Just because temptations come, you don't have to act on them. You know, we're not animals. We're human beings. God created us with a free will and with self-control. And when you have the Holy Spirit, that's a fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. So yeah, I just encourage people, especially people that want to leave the lifestyle, like you can do this. The grace of God will help you to walk this out. And one of the most important things to me, too, is that people have to fall in love with Jesus. If I would have become religious and just been like, I am not going to be a homosexual. I'm going to church every Sunday. I'm just going to be a good person. I'm going to live according to the Bible. That doesn't that can work for a while. And some people have really strong willpower and can make it work for a longer while. But if I would have done that, I would have already went back into the lifestyle a long time ago because. Right. That's just not sustainable. You have to fall in love with the Lord. You have to know the Lord. You know, when Jesus says that many will come to him that day and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Like when we think of Jesus, like separating people, we naturally think of like, oh, this is wrong. This is right. This is sin. This is not. 
Why does Jesus tell them, you workers of lawlessness, I never knew you. You don't know the Lord and practice and live in sin. When you know the Lord, you can fall into sin. You can make a mistake. You can even fall into sin for maybe a couple of days or weeks, but you're going to have the conviction of the Holy Spirit guiding you back to him pulling you back home. You're going to feel the Father's love wanting to correct you, but in a loving way and bring you back into his hands. Like it's not like it's not like how the world views it. Like when the Lord um is doing something in people, he begins that. And even if you fail, he's gonna keep you going. It says that he who began a good work and you will see it through to completion. And so um it's just a process. It's a journey. It's it's just amazing seeing what what the Lord is doing with all of that and so many people. So yeah, I would just say that people, people's temptations don't have to dictate what you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to the 16 year old right now who's struggling with thinking that they're trapped in the wrong body. I mean, we know this is out there, right? You know, that somebody is, is, is struggling with this secretly or they, you know, they, they felt like, Hey, I was born this way, you know, and it's crazy because one of the things that I that I had read from the Johns Hopkins Hospital, Dr. Paul McHugh, he's the former psychiatrist in chief at Johns Hopkins. And he was he was talking about how a person can have sexual reassignment surgery, but it is biologically impossible for that person to become of different sex. Like their DNA when you were born, and this is, and and I and I I pray that someone hears this by the Spirit of God, is that when you were born, your DNA is either male or female. Like there is no, like no matter what happens with your body, you cannot become a totally different person or a different sex. You know, and Dr. Dr. Paul McHugh says, you know, we're actually doing people injustice by telling them that they can have reassignment surgery as if it will make them something that they're they're not, you know. And, and so, you know, I know that there are young people there. There could be some older people, whatever the case may be. And they're sitting there and they're going, but I hear all of this, but I feel like I'm trapped. You know, talk to that 16-year-old, that 22-year-old, that 20-year-old that's going through that right now. What would you say to them? Yeah, so I would just tell tell that person that you feel trapped in that lifestyle and, and that identity with transgender, that God created you as a man or a woman. He loves you. He didn't make a mistake. He created you how he wants you. And just staying in that, I mean, how, how, how can I say this? The Lord has a purpose and a plan for you. And something that I had to learn was that I was more valuable than rubies and gold and diamonds. I was worth the blood of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that when he died on that cross, you know, one time the Lord showed me so clearly and laid it on my heart when he died on that cross, he died for all kinds of people, everyone in the world, but also for he thought of those people living transgender and in homosexuality and all those things. He thought of those people and he loves those people. And the, when the Lord showed me that, it really hit home with me how that is that someone would shed his blood for me. No one, no one, you know, your boyfriend, your girlfriend will not probably go shed their blood for something you did. But Jesus did that for all of us. Mm. And, and just like my brother said, no matter how many hormones you take, no matter how many surgeries you have, your DNA in your body, if you were to die and forensic 
people came to test your body, they would identify you as male or female according to your DNA and your cells. No matter how many surgeries, no matter how many hormones you take, you're still going to be what you are biologically created to be. And so I just want to remind people again how much he loves you and that he has a plan for you, that he has things for you that he created as a part of you, as part of your biological makeup, your male or your female. He he loves that about you. And so I just want to remind people again just how valuable you are to him. And when you find your value in him, when you fall in love with the creator of the world that spoke the stars into, you know, into existence and the sun and the moon. Like when you fall in love with the person that created and formed you in your mother's womb, he will show you the truth. Uh, the Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. He is the truth. We can talk about truth and facts, but Jesus literally is the truth. Yes. And so, um, yeah, that's what I would say to them. Just put it all aside. Take it from me. Someone who lived it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Someone who was diagnosed with gender dysphoria from psychologists, from psychiatrists, from everything in the middle. Yeah, I was I was told I was all those things, but I was set free when I was born again through Jesus Christ. I have never been suicidal again since I was born again. And I have never went through depression where I was just depressed and couldn't do anything again since I was born again. That's what the Lord could do. That's his power. How did 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 the drugs so i you know you were addicted to drugs did that in two was that like that day or was that a progressive thing how how did you get off of drugs so i had gotten off of drugs when i went to undergraduate school i had gotten off the illegal drugs but when i started following the lord i just felt it was the summer 2016 after i threw away my life of scarlet I was actually born again on August 16th, 2016. And so that whole summer between June, when I threw away my life with Scarlet to August 16th, the Lord was really working on me and taking me through a process. And really from the day I was born again on August 16th, I just, I never got drunk again. I never did an illegal drug again. I never smoked pot again. I never did meth again. I never did ecstasy again. I never did cocaine again i never drank i I drank once at a wedding i think and then another time i had like a glass of wine and i had like a sip or two i'm like i don't want that like i have no desire to do any of that so i've never never been drunk since before i was even born again probably three months before so my life just changed in every way he just set me free from all that stuff it's 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 funny and not not funny, haha. But it, it's always weird when you talk about identity, right? And, and I feel like this is a trick of the enemy. That every other sin that we commit, there is no identity attached to it, right? There's no, you know, this, you know, it's not Kyle the pornographer, right? Or you know, it, like we don't say <laughs> anything about that, right? right. Uh, sorry, Kyle. Um, it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we don't say that. But all of a sudden, and, and, and I said this on the, and, and with Angel, too, is that, like, I think what people don't understand is when they say things like, well, I feel like I was born this way. Ever since I was young, I played with dolls I, or I put on dresses or I, whatever the case may be. And I understand that 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 happens. But just like from a child, you may have been angry 
or you may have been, you know, uh, introduced to the opposite sex and had some type of a proclivity towards the opposite sex from a child, right? It's the same thing when you have the same sex attract. It doesn't mean that you were born that way. What it means is, like, just like the Bible says, you were born in sin and you were shaped in iniquity. Like that, that's, so we all have a proclivity towards some type of sin, but no other sin do we make an identity. Like it's not Kevin, the angry man. Like I just identify as angry. No, I, I, you know, that, that's not what happens. And so, but with, with homosexual feelings, you know, this is a behavior. This is not a an actual identity and i and i really believe that because god is literally imprinted on our image you know the image of god is imprinted on each one of us i feel like the devil his desire is to make sure that image is tainted that that image is distorted and it, this a new identity is taken on and i think what god is saying even through you today jeff is that you know, we aren't to take on the identity that 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 our mind tells us that we are, right? Because we know even scientifically that's not possible, right? It's it's what God says about us in really embracing the truth of God, no matter what we think. We should, even if you're straight, you should never believe everything you think. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like that, you know, we, we you just can't do that. Right. So I, I think it's really important for people to, to understand that that identity thing is a trick of the enemy for sure. Yeah. And I want to I wanted to share this, too, before we end. Yeah, um, I actually wrote an article for Charisma Online News about this. This is targeted to people that are in the LGBTQ community and those especially I really strongly believe that are identifying as transgender and that I see or hear this later. The Lord showed me in the spring of 2017 through the word of God. I was reading the word of God and the Lord started highlighting eunuchs to me. Mm. And I didn't understand fully what he was doing at that time, but he was showing me things because me having a bachelor master's degree in history, I know that eunuchs are men that were castrated. They were usually an army would come in, capture men, they would castrate some of them and they would work in the palace. I knew that just from studying history, but the Lord was taking me a lot further with this. And he took me to the scripture in Isaiah that says to the eunuchs who will follow my ways and basically follow him and live for God, they will have names written on the temple higher than sons and daughters. This is in parentheses quoted by Yahweh. Mm. And I'm like, that is a very powerful statement. Names written on the temple forever higher than sons and daughters. Like what is this talking about with the eunuchs? And then Jesus says in the New Testament, there are three kinds of eunuchs. There are those that are born that way. There are those that were made that way by man. That's Mm -hmm. what we call think of in history. And the third kind, there are those that live that way basically as a ministry unto the Lord. So that's like what we think of like Paul and stuff. So we know there are people that were made that way. We know we think of the people like Paul or the people that were celibate to live that way unto the Lord. But what is Jesus saying? There were some that are born that way. And so as I started like praying about this and the Lord started showing me things through the scripture, he spoke to me very clearly that there are people that are spiritual eunuchs. Those are the ones that were born that way. They have a heart. They were born set apart as a spiritual eunuch in their spirit. They're not to be touched by man. They're not to be touched by women. They're not to be touched by anyone. 
And when the Lord spoke that to me, I was just, I was like, that makes so much sense. And then the Lord took me further and he said, many, I'll never forget how he said it. He said, many of my eunuchs are trapped in the LGBTQ. And I was just like, what? Like, Mm. that is powerful. And so when we're talking about this deception and this identity, like you said, no other sin is just ingrained in people. This is who you are. This is who you are. This is your identity. And as I started thinking about it and the Lord started having me connect to other people, I actually met someone who knows a man who was not attracted to men when he was a little boy or as he growing up in teenagers and he wasn't attracted to women, but people kept telling him, you're not sexually attracted to women. You're, you are gay. You need to be with a man. He actually went on just to not be lonely and just started dating men. Um, I believe he was a spiritual unit. Mm-hmm. And so when the Lord showed me that these people are spiritual eunuchs set apart from birth and said, many of my eunuchs are trapped in the, that community. And I'll never forget. He also said, not all people in the homosexual transgender community, not all of them are spiritual eunuchs, but he said, many of my spiritual eunuchs are trapped there. Mm-hmm. And when I was reading my Bible around that time, I got to the story of Jezebel. And, you know, I always hear about Jezebel. I've heard about Elijah. You hear about Jehu. You hear about Elisha. You hear about all this stuff. But when I read the story, the Lord was like focusing me in on it. And I got to the part where Jezebel's killed. And it says that Jehu wrote in an authority. And when he wrote in an authority that he said, basically, who will take her down, throw her down. And it says that these eunuchs rose up and they turned on Jezebel. The eunuchs rose up, took Jezebel, and threw her off the balcony. The eunuchs are the very ones that, when Jehu wrote in an authority, fulfilled the prophecy of Elijah. Elijah's prophecy wouldn't have been fulfilled without the eunuchs. Mm. And that's what the Lord just started showing me. The reason why so many people are being trapped in this transgenderism and this homosexual identity is because a lot of them, not all, but a lot of them are spiritual eunuchs and the enemy, Satan, the devil, Lucifer, the demonic realm, all of it knows that they are actual key to overthrowing that Jezebelic principality that's tied into sexual perversion that's tied jezebel also murdered kids and sacrificed them to Moloch. it's tied into abortion it's tied into radical feminism it's tied into a lot that principality that wickedness like paul says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood we're actually wrestling against these principalities and wickedness and demonic realms that all those things that are tied to that, that the church and that people have been marching against and wanting to see so many things overturned in this country of the United States of America, the eunuchs are the actual key to overthrowing her. They're part of the paradigm. So that's why there's such a focus on ingraining that into their identity, ingraining that that's who they are, that there's no other option for the rest of their life, that that's who they are, because it is a deception. It's not a little light deception to take lightly. It's something that the enemy knows. I have to hide these people. I have to deceive and confuse these people because he knows spiritually they're the very key to overthrowing a lot of what we want to see overthrown. Wow. (laughs) First of all, the, that just blew my mind. Second of all, I think it answered my own like question I had when you come to like cancel culture, you come to when you just brought it. I mean, you painted a great, great picture there, like the way you started and the way you brought it all together. That's a, this is a whole nother topic in, in itself. But I'm like, why does it seem like with cancel culture, like if we offend LGBTQ community, it's not just that, but it's it's the Me Too movement. It's. Yeah, you know, like it's it's the gender neutrality. It's 
all of this, it's the abortion, it's all this is encompassed in one. I, I really felt like a lot of those topics that the nation's dealing with right now, you can't offend one of those without offending all of them. And I'm just like, why, why does it seem like it's, it's run, like cancel culture is specifically run by, by the LGBTQ thought. And then it encompasses the Me Too movement with the women and encompass, you know, it, all of it. I think it kind of just answered that right there. I was, when you said that, it was like a bomb went off in my head. I was like, oh, that's, that's what I'm feeling. Like, I'm feeling like it's all just intertwined for one agenda against one agenda, not seven agendas against one. It's like they're all one part, you know, compartmentalized. It's just been such a spiritual battle, man. And, and that was just a great way to paint that picture. Um, I do have one, I do have one question for you and then we can let you go if that's what you want to do. But listen, I know, I know for a fact the one thing that we want to do when we discuss this as a church is, and listen, I, I'm a dad of two girls and I have another baby on the way. Who knows? We, we may be faced with these questions personally, but how as a parent should, should the response be? Because that's something that when we talk to our students, we know these conversations are going to surface and we want to set the parents up for success. So how do you respond in a way that you don't compromise your faith, but you don't all of a sudden ruin your relationship with your son or your daughter? You know what I'm saying? How do you keep, keep the response to where you can still minister to your own son and daughter? Because I know firsthand of friends, of family members that are like, listen, I don't talk to my parents about this because their response hurt me. Yeah. Yeah, so I would definitely say that it has to be, a parent's response has to be filled with grace and with truth. And when I started in ministry, the Lord just shared with me one time, He said, if He said, this is basically what the church is doing, most of the church, not all. But He showed me that there's, they just want to share the truth. So we've seen that. People plaster a scripture, which is the truth, and just yell at people at an event. Mm-hmm. They're just sharing the truth without grace. And then he showed me the other side. He said, the other side of the church right now is just saying grace, 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 grace covers it. It doesn't matter. And they're not sharing the truth. And that's when the Lord spoke to me. If you, he said, if you give people truth without grace, you can breed fear in them. They just hear the truth. They just hear it sin. They just hear about mm-hmm. a separation. They just hear this there. If you give them truth without grace, you can breed fear in them. And then he took me on the other side and he said, if you just tell people grace covers it, it's all about grace, and you don't tell them the truth, you can deceive people. That was that was pretty scary to think that yeah. other people can lead people into deception. Yeah. And that's when Jesus took me to the scripture and showed me it says that the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And the story where he saved the woman from being stoned, they were about to murder her. They were about to stone her, which was, according to the law, could happen. And Jesus stepped in. It said the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. This is how we have to minister. We have to minister with grace and we have to minister with truth. There should be a perfect balancing act on us. And that's where the Lord took me to the story and showed me. act. And I, I remember how the Lord showed me. He said, I showed her grace first. I stopped them from stoning her. I actually showed her grace first. And then I told her the truth, go and sin no more. Mm-hmm. So it was grace and it was truth. And that's how we have to, to share with our family, with our friends, with everyone. We have to share grace and truth. So that's yeah. how it should be balanced. So awesome. good. So good, Jeff. Listen, if you're a pastor listening, I encourage you to look and search for Jeffrey McCall. And I'm about to give you where you can find him in just a second here. But 
you you need to bring him out to your church, whether it's virtual, whether it's it's uh, live, whatever the case may be. Find out what they're doing. Give to this ministries because I really believe that God is using them in mighty, mighty ways. And one thing that I I, I just want to say right before we go here is one of the things that I was reading as I was doing research for this show is that, and I can't remember who it was, and I should have put it in my show notes, but it was someone well-respected that said that 80% of children who have these thoughts of being, you know, the opposite sex or wanting to play dress up as as the opposite of what they they are, eighty percent of those people that ends up dissipating, like they don't like. And but what we're seeing because we're making this an identity, we're seeing parents saying, "Oh, my child, my son is playing with dolls. My son is wearing a dress." That must mean he is this way. And so that for me not to break his spirit or for me not to be mean as a parent, I now have to give into that when truly it's, you know, let things play its course and it won't be that way. Right. And and I was shocked at that 80 percent. So, you know, and I'm not saying I'm not saying that there aren't people who that will go through, you know, their life. It's still not their identity. But certainly, as parents, let's not validate these things. You know, if you have a son and his DNA is that he's that he is a male, you know what? You are not doing anything wrong by raising him as a male. If you feel that there are some issues there, you know, there, there's counseling there is, you know, make sure that he's rooted and grounded in the word of God from a child. I mean, children can they can they can recite stuff from movies, from YouTube clips, from from songs, they can certainly understand the truth about who they are from scripture. And so I, I think that's so important. But here's the thing. I want you guys to go, uh, Jeff, uh, you can find him at freedomtomarch.com, freedomtomarch.com, and then forsuchatime.org and the four is the number for suchatime.org and tell us just a little bit about freedom march uh, right before you go because i want people to understand what this what this is yeah so freedom march we actually go into major cities and i bring usually between 10 and 15 people that have testimonies of previously living in the lgbtq identity and i let them share their testimonies so we actually pick outside venues in these cities we've been in la st paul orlando dc we pick outside venues in these cities and we share the testimonies on a stage outside and then we publicly march in that city we get behind a big banner that says freedom march and we just march through the city and we proclaim publicly that jesus is lord and that he can deliver anyone from anything and wow. so that's what the Freedom March is. It's focused on these former LGBTQ testimonies. Wow. Well, folks, you, you have it there. Jeffrey McCall, I, I tell you, I appreciate you you coming on and all the work that you do in all of these communities. Your story is powerful. Your, mm-hmm. your, your transformation's powerful, which makes your ministry powerful. And so thank you for what you do there. And folks, you know, you can find us everywhere. And if you're listening to this today, do me a big favor. If you're enjoying these shows and especially shows like this, would you share it on social media? Would you share this and tell all of your friends? If you have somebody that's dealing with this, 
go ahead and, and share message us let us know how you know what you think about the shows and, and all of that kyle can you tell them where to find us yep you can find us instagram twitter and facebook facebook and twitter is thinking out loud podcast you go on instagram it's thinking underscore out loud you'll see our logo right right on the front you'll be able to find us and like kevin was saying you're gonna see all of our shows usually beforehand we'll post so you'll see a photo of jeff on there letting you know that his show's coming up you can find us on youtube on our youtube page thinking out loud podcast where you can actually see the video footage of us talking to our host and so find us on any one of those platforms as well as apple music and all of the uh, podcasts that we have out as well so again if you go on apple remember to rate and review for us and uh, that will just help get the information out there. Obviously, if you've heard today, you know it's important information, uh, information that we need to be educated on. Yeah, we're also on Pandora now and Amazon. So anywhere you listen to podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, all the places, Google Podcasts, all the places, we're there. Hey, guys, thank you for tuning in again this week. We love you guys. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week. Next week.